Hello, everyone. Welcome back, or welcome to, if you're still a new listener, we st- we're still accepting new listeners. This is only episode five, Dallas, but yeah. it's still an exciting week for us. I'm excited for all of the new listeners. I think every guest we've had is great, and, and this week is no exception. We're, we're lucky to be joined by Becky Pavin. Becky is one of the few athletes who's been a member of our indoor national team. Beach national team. Beach national team. She played post-secondary in the NCAA for the University of Kentucky. The Wildcats. And anyone who's interested in watching her play, she's still going to be playing in the One Volleyball League this summer, which is a a, a professional league here in Ontario, where check out their website. The draft is coming up uh, this weekend, actually, I think is the Athlete Showcase. So you can check out the rosters and see talented athletes like Becky Pavin, Steve Hunt on the guy's side. It's It's a really good league, actually. Becky has almost, what, 10 years of experience overseas in Poland. Germany and France. And France, uh, she's been at World Championships with the national indoor team. She's been at the World Series of beach volleyball and uh, a whole whack of intercontinental mishmash Norseka esque even Norseka tournaments. And now she's coaching club volleyball. So hopefully we'll get to that in the interview as well. But yeah. uh, exciting to have Becky. Give it up for Becky Pavin. So first off, how are you? I'm great. Yeah? Just came off of Nationals, supply taught this morning, living the dream. What are you teaching? I teach whatever comes my way at 7 a.m. Because I am not graduated yet. I can emergency supply. So today I taught nine girls sex ed, which was fantastic. Okay. Starting off with with a literal (laughs) bang. Uh, yeah. What are your teachables, or like, what do you try? Like, what is the end game after teachers college for you? My primary teachable is high school math, and then my secondary is science. So you're trying so. to make the unfun subjects fun. Yes, I am such a nerd. I'm making like math puzzles and stuff for kids to solve, and I'm like, they're gonna love it, and then they they hate it. They hate but it. that's okay. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it happens. It comes with the job. Uh, okay, so for me, I want to just get into a little bit about your early stages of volleyball. You are super accomplished. Um, you're a super accomplished indoor player. You're a super accomplished beach volleyball player. You were, you know, one of the few people that were able to be on the national team for both. Um, going back to before university, you played for the University of Kentucky. Yeah. Um, what was your recruitment process like for that, and how did you sort of get in with a huge school? Um, I am very fortunate that my family comes from volleyball, and I'm also very lucky that I'm six four. So my recruitment probably looks a little different than a lot of people's. Um, people knew who I was because I was that lame little sister who went to all my sister's recruiting trips. Uh, and then eventually when things started clicking, people had assumed they would, and I received a lot of letters from different schools, um, across the United States, only one from a school in Canada. So everybody who thought, uh, (laughs) who thought that I was only going to go to the States, you do that because what else was I offered? So who was the bold coach from Canada that sent you on? Yeah. They were like so mad. They're like, Oh, you didn't even look at Canada. I was like, did you send me a recruiting letter? No. So <laughs> I um, I narrowed it down to five, six schools. And one spring break, me and my parents just 
hit my top five all in one spring break uh, to do my recruiting trip so I could decide what I wanted. That must and, have been a hell of a drive from New York to California. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> I, <didn't, laughs> I was actually trying to stay so close to home. And then I went to a school nine hours right away. But so, what were your what close. were your five what were your five schools that you had narrowed down to before you chose Kentucky? The schools that I visited on that trip were um, Ohio State, Penn, nope, Purdue, Minnesota, Kentucky, obviously. I'm missing one. What was the other school? Florida <laughs> was top six. I don't know if they're in the top five, though. So if you were to give a ballpark of how many American Division One scholarship offers you had, what do you think it would be? Oh, boy. The number of recruitment letters I got were, like, I had a box. You know one of those file boxes that you, you see, like, lawyers stack high if they're unorganized? Like, I had one of those, like, filled with recruiting letters. Uh, and one Canadian they, one you had framed in your kitchen. No, it's <laughs> framed in my kitchen. My parents were like, oh, you're nothing special, Becky. You don't get an eye on yourself. <laughs> so you I had was this, still getting kicked out of practice at that point. So You had this accordion-style file folder of all the schools that, uh, that you had been recruited to. I got to think that your mailman was probably not happy going to your house every day. I know, right? He's like, what the heck is happening at this place? Like, are they trying to sell this kid? I don't know. But, yeah, it was an interesting time, especially for, like, I don't think I had a lot of confidence in myself in volleyball, so I, like, never really got what was going on. Uh, I was like, oh, it's because of my family, or it's, oh, well, I'm 6'4", obviously, but when you get down there, you realize everybody's 6'4", and, <laughs> you know, so... It was a cool time for for young me. So you got down there and, and things started to click and uh, you had a super successful university career or college career, whatever you want to call it. Um, what, were, what were the facilities like down there in relation to what you experienced um, seeing Canadian universities or um, just with the, even with the national team? How does... Uh, the sort of the amenities of the Division One school compared to uh, to the treatment you received everywhere else. It's like so when you go to one of the top Division One athletics schools, like Kentucky was at the time one of five self-supporting athletics programs, which means it didn't take any money from the actual university. All of its money it made on its own. So we had so many spot like. Uh, alumni who were giving money our basketball and football teams were so successful like, well the football team wasn't successful at the time but they brought in a lot of money that we had just redone the facility that I lived in like the year before I got there so I'm talking brand new weightlifting room brand new athletics training room brand new locker rooms for gymnastics volleyball men's and women's basketball so it was just beautiful and I always think about it I'm like oh my gosh like Kentucky just ruined me for the rest of my athletic career because <laughs> nothing was ever going to be as good like it was our floors were like springy we had an athlete academic center that I could get free tutoring but nobody could tutor my courses but it was a nice thought like <laughs> <laughs> nobody was know, making puzzles for you eh 
Yeah, nobody was making me any math puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> they did save me a few times on like those uh, classes that you have just take to take. Like, oh my gosh, uh, music one hundred online. I had two weeks left in the class, and I am a procrastinator. I'm terrible, and so I. I look at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have like five quizzes and the exam left on this. And so I have like, <laughs> I had two weeks to finish this thing. And they're, they're like, no, no, we're going to set you up with like Miss Patty. And we're, she's going to pound it out with you. And I... I'm assuming Miss Patty was her first name too. Yeah. Oh, of course. We're in the South yeah. right now. <laughs> so... Yeah, everybody's missed something. Missed something. So I went to Florida for one year and uh, I had a big cultural shock when I got down there. You're from Kitchener-Waterloo. When you got to Kentucky and you were there by yourself, what was the sort of the first culture shock you got from, uh, we'll say, midtown Canada to southern United States? Well, Lexington was so, I don't know if this is okay, so white. Everybody was white, unless you were on an athletic team. Like... (laughs) It was unreal, and I remember my first season there, uh, it was the first election that Obama was uh, was in the running for, and it was so scary at the time. I didn't really comprehend what happened, I guess, but there was actually an image of Obama hung from a tree on campus Ugh. during that uh that my freshman year before he was elected, and like I think that's when it became real, like, this place is not like home. Yeah. I. That's scary. It is scary. And, like, I'm a white girl from Canada, like, but I just felt shocked and so confused because I'd grown up in such a multicultural community and had never thought twice about it, to be honest. Right, you take those sort of things for granted. Yeah, and Kentucky was a beautiful and very welcoming, loving state with wonderful people. But there's also that, like, dark, sticky underbelly of it. And I dated a boy from, like, the southeastern hills of Kentucky. And that's that's a place, like, I, I will never see again, I don't think. It's, it's just, they know who you are if you're not from there. You don't want to be alone if you're not from there. You don't have cell phone service. It's such a different place than Toronto area. And it was just... So you couldn't fly under the radar like you usually do. Oh, yeah. Nobody ever notices me. It's, oh, my God. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> no, that's that's crazy. And uh, it's it's crazy to think how... Uh, how not, I don't even want to say progressive, but how normal being accepting and being welcoming to other people you know we are in Canada just as as uh you know without even a second thought and then you have these sort of occurrences that make you realize holy cow like I'm I really am nine hours away from home yeah um I'm gonna go off the board and talk about volleyball if that's okay um (laughs) what was it like going through four years of university and not serving I served my first year. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it's it's so interesting because it goes through your mind as an athlete. They never tell you why, right? It's like, we're doing this and this is like, you're just doing it. And so um, 
after my freshman year, I stopped serving. My libero served for me. And, you know, at that point, I was like, I thought I was a good server. I was like, check me out. Why are you doing this to me? Um, and I think that had I been given a reason as to, like, oh, you're a bad server and we need a, or this is a stronger server, or you can't play defense to save your life, so we don't want to risk you serving and being in there, I think it would have uh, been helpful. But, you know, it's just, I was also so exhausted. Like, uh, Dallas alluded to this in a previous conversation that I've had with him. Like, I was so thin that by the time I got through that front row, I was just, like, beat. And uh, it was a concern for my athletic staff, and I'm sure that potentially that also played a role in everything. And it was, you know, you do what you need to for the team. And it's not about you and being on for the full time that you can be on. You, they think that the libero is going to be a better server than you, and she's most definitely a better passer and defender than you. You just you do what they say, and the team did well, so I can't really have any complaints. <laughs> that's such a crazy attitude to have, especially now. I mean, crazy good. I mean, like, that's literally the definition of being an amazing teammate. There's so many people now that want personal glory over team glory. Um, like, yeah, I really commend you for that. That's awesome. Thanks. I feel like I've spent so much of my athletic career kind of flying under the radar of everything that... You know, you can't get a big head, and my father would probably not allow that to happen anyways, because there's no room for an ego other than his, so. <laughs> Take a back seat. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's awesome. I love my dad. Um, so you have a super successful career at Kentucky. They sort of, they monitor everything, right? They monitor oh. what you're eating, what you're drinking. Um, I went through such an ordeal because I was so thin and they didn't like that and they started monitoring my calories they were like you need 5,000 calories a day they were like you need to add butter to everything I was like what world am I living in right now like I why don't you go talk to my teammate who's eating a bag of chips for lunch like you better butter up that bacon Becky why can't we all get along And I started near the end, I was like, man, this sucks. I have to go see some specialist every Monday of my senior season. Can I please have some ice cream after dinner because I need calories? Or like, (laughs) oh, we're not allowed cream sauces. Are you sure that I can't have their cream sauce because you want me to eat the calories? So, I mean, you had to end up having a good sense of humor about it. And I had like some pretty bad mental health near the end because it plays a toll on a young woman's mind when somebody's telling you that your body isn't what they need it to be. Right, and you just can't figure out why because you've always been a stork and why does it matter now that I'm skinny when I always have been right Um, so you transition out of uh, the NCAA and you start going overseas how was the recruitment process different from being on a professional club than it was for you when you you know you just talked about uh, getting onto a university team was it the same sort of process did they approach you saying hey we know how good you are here's a contract no I wanted to quit volleyball after university um and then my parents kind of were like really are you sure you're not going to go for the national team and so my first year with the national team I actually fell in love with volleyball again and I decided so late that I was going to pursue a professional sport and 
you know, as a middle, when I first started playing pro, I was playing middle, and there's a there's a million of you. There's so many middles. All you have to do is block and attack because you're not the one scoring points in the international game. So you're not a priority. So I reached out to a an agent and gave them some video for my summer with the uh, Team Canada and basically just waited. And you just sit there waiting and then one day you get a call and like two days later you're on a flight to a new country where you don't know anybody. You don't know the language, you don't know... No. And I'm like standing in this airport in Berlin where my first contract was just looking around for this American agent who I'd never seen, didn't know what he looked like, like had no idea what I was looking for. And I'm a 22 year old, like innocent, like <laughs> lost. And suddenly this guy comes up and speaks English to me and I'm like, oh, this must be you. <laughs> <laughs> you get in the car and you hope for the best. <laughs> it was so <laughs> Oh my God, this sounds... <laughs> he was one of like honestly he became one of my best friends and I was like he could have sent me a picture before so I knew what I was looking like he he's a black guy too you would have stood out in Berlin airport like you could have told me <laughs> no Becky I will find you <laughs> <laughs> well maybe what I looked like like what if I was being taken oh, I could have been taken so what was it about joining the national team in the summer that made you fall back in love with volleyball I think that even though after graduating it still is very much a business, I think that I had been stressed out for so long about the outside factors uh, of my, my weight and and all of that with my Kentucky team that when I went to the national team and suddenly they were like, oh, we had a German coach at the time, and Europeans, like, if you look at a lot of the girls, they're they're thin, and they're like, oh, you have the perfect volleyball body type. I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. I've been telling people that for years. Um, and then I really just, I think that taking school out of the equation, I graduated, I had the degree, I didn't have to worry about not having my degree anymore, was just a weight off of my shoulders. I don't think I realized at the time how much school weighed on me because I wasn't necessarily diligent, but I expected myself to be getting good grades. And yeah. then, yeah, volleyball became all I needed to do. And it was like, Oh, this is fun. So, um, TJ was on our last episode talking to us about sort of the, the rigors and the daily routine of, of the FTC for the men in Gatineau. What was that like for you, and, and how was the training process with Team Canada? It was uh, it was out in Winnipeg when you were there, right? Uh, beautiful Winnipeg. Beautiful yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah, it's. Uh, I never experienced an FTC. I never spent a winter there, thankfully, because it would have been freezing. <laughs> uh, but you know, you go you go into having your practices twice a day. Uh, you're, I was in that first um, first acceptance after the quad ended. So the Olympic quad ended and they kept their base girls and like a bunch of young new blood. And so I was there with like 30-something girls all summer. And you were just hoping to be one of the 12 or 14 that got to go to Pan Am Cup in, I believe it was Juarez, Mexico. <laughs> Beautiful destination. Um, and so I think that I was around people who were like me again, 
where in university, I I loved my teammates. They were great, but I feel like I I I always felt like I was different than a lot of them. Or I don't know, just I felt because I I was Canadian and everybody knew it, and it wasn't a problem, and everybody accepted me, and we were friends. But being with a group of young women playing for your country is a very different motivation than fighting for a spot on a university team that you all happened to be recruited to right. and accepted. That's yeah, that's very true. Um, was how many Canadian stereotypes did you have to dispel when you were at Kentucky? <laughs> Or what was the best one? What was the best question that somebody asked you when you were down there? There are just so many. It's just like the classic. So are you from the province of Toronto? Um, that's not a province. Do you live in igloos? No, we have summer. Uh, like, just... I I laugh at it, but I'm sorry. Canadians can be just as, as ignorant about some of the states. Because uh, I've listened to fellow Canadian teammates not know what's what uh, state Chicago is in or thinking that Chicago was a state. So, you know, as much as we like to laugh at the Americans for not knowing, we don't know much about, it, about them either. So Yeah, not many people know Chicago, California, you're right. <laughs> Nobody will believe that in Chicago, <laughs> Illinois. Don't let him fool you. <laughs> no. Um, so we'll go back to your time overseas. You, uh, you were in... Germany, uh, Poland. And I had one year in France between those two. And you had one year in France between those two. So yeah. when you sign, because this is always something that I've always wondered, because um, it's not very common that you're there for a long time. When you're talking to your agent, is it always like one year or half year contracts? Like, do you ever sign multiple year contracts? It can happen. Um if you're very young or you're close to retirement, you might sign a contract just in case, like, you don't pan out. Uh, but as we all know, that that doesn't end up helping you anyway sometimes. They just decide not to pay you. But uh, I also didn't want to end up in a spot and not be able to leave. Um, I think all except for one club offered me for the season after I finished. So I always had that option anyways. And if you don't, if you sign for multi-year, then you can't really ask for a raise. Because why are they going to give you more money when they already have you locked down for the amount that you're in? You know, like, you don't have any room for growth. So I decided for one-year contracts, I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I saw a lot of different cities and met many different people because I didn't stay in one place. Uh, and volleyball's not forever, so I think that I gained more value life value yeah from, from not staying not a lot of people know that volleyball isn't forever no they don't no and uh it's really awesome to see that uh you're following your passion and, and you're going to be a teacher and that's awesome yeah i'm so lucky that i have a community of people through my club here too that i coach in and my, or my dad created that have been helping me too and and that's uh, the predators the kitchener waterloo predators yeah, yeah. they I have done like a practicum, a teaching practicum with one of the parents. Like everybody, you don't appreciate how much volleyball can affect you outside of sport yeah. until you're done and you have that community of people rally around you in a new way. And it's just, it's pretty heartwarming, actually. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. 
Um, you talked about getting paid overseas. You hear so many of these <laughs> nightmare stories of uh, people either getting promised money or underpaid or what, uh, like, what's the payment process? Like, you obviously, I, I guess if you're overseas, you have to keep getting these different bank accounts in these different countries or... Yeah, yeah. Like, and if, uh, yeah. if you don't speak the language, what, like, do you have a translator that comes in with you and just sets up a bank account or... Yeah, that either happens or you go in or you call them and say, hey, I speak English. Can you make sure you have someone who speaks English there? Uh, it's a big pain. Um, but it's just even getting paid. Sometimes they're trying to pay you half in cash, which is super sketchy to get home. Then they're trying to, like, not pay you at the end of season. And they're like, I've had a team tell me, oh, we're going to pay everybody else, but we're not going to pay you. And I was like, wow, that's spiteful. Like, thanks. Um, so I've, and then they I've asked you to come a, back next year, right? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you definitely don't go back to that team, but yeah. there's so many teams who screw athletes around and don't pay them and athletes don't know how to pursue it because they don't have agents who are being helpful or they're not connected well. And it's really unfortunate, but so a lot of, uh, athletes that I know have gone to a court for it, including myself, uh, but it's what are you playing for in the long run, right? Like, are you playing for the money? Are you playing for the experience? Are you playing to play? And you kind of have to make that decision when you decide what league you want to play in and is it going to be worth it yeah. if you don't get paid? Yeah. That's wild. So did they pay you in cash? Like, how do you, how do you go about doing that? I've had some teams who paid me partially cash and partially bank account and I wasn't allowed to deposit it in the bank account because then it would be flagged and uh but that was a long time ago that was like one of my first contracts because it's like a small club they don't want to pay the taxes on it and do you have to pay the taxes internationally as well the taxes on my contracts for the country I was playing in were paid by the club okay let's not get into so that. it's all yeah uh, it's invigorating finance, isn't it, Josh? Very much so, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Becky, maybe you could share what it was like playing in a volleyball-obsessed country like Poland, and especially being a foreigner on the right side. What was that experience like? Oh, my God. Poland is honestly one of my favorite places in the world. Like, part of it comes from playing. Uh, like, everybody loves volleyball there. And they actually, a lot of them know the game, so they're talking to you. When they speak English, they're talking to you in an, an intelligent manner about what happened, some of them. So it's really exciting. Uh, it's also a ton of pressure. Unlike the game in Canada, the right side, when you get to the mid to higher levels in international volleyball, the right side is the point scorer. They get every tough situation ball. They get every bad dig that the setter has to jack somewhere. They get every set from the libero, like, and high balls in Europe are, like, hitting the ceiling, high balls. <laughs> um, and you're expected to score. And they just throw it up there, and they're like, oh, why didn't you score? And you can't say it was a bad set. You can't give any other thing, any other answer than I'll, I'll start scoring. <laughs> like, I, I'll score or else I'm getting fired. <laughs> because if I'm not scoring, like, 20 points, then, then why do they have me here? And why are they paying me? Uh, but 
you know, when you're doing well and your team is gelling and everything's falling into place, it's wonderful because you're everybody's hero. Everybody thinks you're awesome. But as soon as things, you go on a seven-game losing streak, uh, like I've done previously with a Polish team, and you're having these meetings with the president, like threatening to not pay you and start firing people, and it becomes very intense. And it's like the highs and lows of volleyball all wrapped up nicely into a few months. <laughs> so yeah. you went from starting off your pro career, not being expected to score, to switching positions, to you better score or you don't have a job anymore. Yes. Yeah, that's got to be yeah. a lot of stress. Yeah, <laughs> it makes my first three years like real, like relaxed. <laughs> and uh, and you you played with the beach national team program for a little bit, and that's how we uh, that's how we got to know each other. Ice bath buddies. Ice bath buddies. <laughs> <laughs> we call that we call that Lake Ontario. Yeah, Lake Ontario was the ice bath. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was, what was the biggest difference you noticed in, uh, in how the beach team was set up then from how the, uh, the indoor team was set up? I feel like indoor, I feel like it's very stereotypical to say, but I feel like indoor is so much more regimented, but I think that comes from everybody's on the same team. So you're doing everything together. Whereas on the beach, it's like, okay, you show up, we showed up to the group practices with our partner, but then everybody like went their own direction at whatever time worked for their schedule because it is very different. It was an interesting culture too, because you're training with teams that you're competing against to go to Norseka's and to go to, to international events and to get money uh, from Sport Canada. So it's not as warm an atmosphere simply because you're in competition, and that's what I would expect. And I think that any competitive player should should be competitive in that atmosphere. It's not a judgment. It's just an observation. Uh, I also found it very interesting that the two years that I played every year, everybody seems to have a different partner when I came back from my time overseas. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> I came back and I was like, oh, wait, you guys are partners? Wait, you guys are partners? Like, Yeah, I hate uh, her now. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not friends anymore. I was like, oh. I mean, it's just such a strange thing to, like, in one year completely change your um, your path because I, never, I wasn't really sure how. I think it takes time to build a relationship in the team uh a team that's going to be successful and it's just it's a hard grind on the beach let me tell you i respect those people who are pursuing it yeah it uh like you said not i don't think a lot of people in the beach community are um i think just because it's a financial grind more than it is with the indoor game yeah. people uh people sort of expect success straight away and if they don't get that success they're not inclined to sort of sit down and have that conversation and, and, you know, go through those rough patches or go through those up and downs. They'll just go, you know what? It's not working. I need something else. And, yeah. And uh, I totally get it. Like, uh, I don't think a lot of people know how little financial support our beach athletes get. Uh, they have to buy their own balls for travel. Like they, 
they have to pay to get to the tournaments and they need support and it's difficult to come by uh, sponsorships and stuff and you're competing for those too and it's a lot of time but it's also a lot of money to commit to the sport before you can potentially find success. Yeah, there's definitely that dark, that uh, I'll call it the dark spot before you sort of, you know, the money and the, the sponsors. It's almost like the sponsors don't come until you get success, but, you know, you, you yeah. can't get success until you get the sponsorship, until you get the backing. So it's, uh, yeah. it's a hard game to play. But there's also the two teams for, for women and two teams for men can make the Olympics. So if you have two teams that are the top two in the world, that makes it a different, a, a really difficult grind because you're like, okay, I've got to like get to the level where I'm competing with them and I'm beating them. Or you might be hoping that maybe everything's going to shuffle around. And yeah, it's it's stressful. I would, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, Becky, just to kind of <clears throat> bring it back to what you're doing currently, I know you're you're striving to be a teacher, but you also had a fun year with the uh, 14 new girls. Do you want to share any uh, coaching stories you have from your club days? I know you just got back from nationals. From my club days? Well, from your your coaching club now. You you've moved uh, on. My coaching club. Oh, my girls were honestly the best. Like they were just the sweetest team. We had about half the team who'd never played volleyball before. Our name was the KW Predators Honey Badgers because they sound sweet, but they're ferocious. Did you come up with and that name? I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, we don't want to be the Honey Badgers. And I was like, too bad. Um, <laughs> I guess Wildcats was off the table, eh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So many funny things happen when you're coaching uh, young women a new sport. Like, running onto the court to cheer. The game's not over. Like... Teaching a girl to serve overhand from scratch. And, I mean, she went from serving under the net to hitting the back wall. No in between. Uh, so she got really strong. Yeah, like, oh my gosh. It's just such an interesting atmosphere. I don't really know what you're asking other than, like, it was awesome. They, I've never felt so fulfilled in the last few years. And I'm like, I was getting emotional watching them lose their last game at Nationals, like, yesterday and I was like oh my god they're bump, bumping setting and attacking it like it was it was so great <laughs> it's uh it's funny you say that because I'm coaching the same age group now too or I should you know I did and uh it's just crazy what happens to the kids too because you'll go on Christmas break and you'll leave for two weeks and then someone will come back like a foot and a half taller oh yeah and you yeah, only I have some girls who are like ostriches right now yeah awesome. so you have your you uh you have your your backcourt defensive specialist that all of a sudden is a middle now because she's uh she's 14 she's six feet and she was five two <laughs> yesterday yeah it's so funny i i'm a big believer that you know the sport has given me a, a lot like i've i've met friends my family's in the sport it gave me my my education. It's still hope, like partially giving my giving me my education, and I've seen the world. I've represented my country. I feel like it's my responsibility to give that to the next generation of athletes. I think it's easy to to say that we're busy and and you know not give the six hours a week plus that you that you are asked to as a club coach these days. But I would never want to return to Ontario and not give athletes the opportunity to play that I was given. 
That's awesome. That's a great, uh, that's one of the best mentalities I've ever heard. Those girls are lucky to have you. Uh, well, I don't kick them out like my dad used to kick me out, so they are lucky. <laughs> There's no 14-year-olds punting balls in practice, is there? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, when I was an athlete, my dad was my coach, and I must have had a smirk. I don't know if I had, like, a smirky face, but <laughs> I was really sucking, and I was really bad at volleyball until about nine, grade nine, so I was in grade seven. And my dad is looking at me, he's like, what, like, why are you smirking? And I was like, I'm not smirking. Like, I'm not smirking. I, I'm listening to you get mad at me. I'm not smirking. He's like, no, get out. And so I go out to the hallway and I'm sitting on the bench outside the doors and the doors are open. They were already open. And so I'm sitting there watching practice and he comes and looks at me. He's like, you can't even watch today. And he like closed the door and went back to practice. And I was like, all right, <laughs> don't smirk. It's going to be an interesting car ride home. <laughs> no, he was honestly great. Like, every Tuesday we would get our Slurpee, even if I was kicked out that day. Like, uh, he did such a good job of separating what happened in the gym and then, like, after we were outside of the gym. So, you know, he was he was tough, but uh, I probably deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, favorite Slurpee? Coke. Oh, uh, the classic. This is Come why on. this is why we're such good friends. I knew I picked a good uh, ice bath buddy. Are you a Coke, dr uh, Coke oh. Slurpee drinker? But like, people want to mix. People want to throw everything in. No, in, no. straight Coca Cola Slurpee. That's yeah. all you need. You That's pure. all you need. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? So many problems would be fixed over Tuesday Slurpees. I think we need to have all conflicts. Resolved at 7-Eleven. That's why me and my dad still love each other. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, if I go help us practice, we'll get a Slurpee after. Oh. I'm 29. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dad, we need to hash it out. Uh, you want uh, you want the medium or the large? <laughs> Depends on how terrible it was. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, no, that was great. I think... Uh, you know you've uh, you've accomplished so much, and it's uh, it's so great to hear that uh, not only are you giving back, but you have the willingness to give back. And uh, you know you said it yourself; you would uh, you feel like it's your duty, and I think that's that's great. I think we need more people like you in um, in the culture, and it's so awesome that uh, you're building these bridges with with people and, and with your network rather than uh, sort of putting up a wall and, and keeping your distance. Uh, I know a lot of people come out of uh, come out of the sport a little jaded and it's really it's really um it's really great to hear that uh that you're so welcoming and you want to cast such a wide net um with what you've learned oh thanks i was really happy to talk to you guys today i feel like it was so quick uh but maybe another time we'll get into some some fun stories another day but uh thank you so much for having me it was a blast yeah thanks for coming on you'll have to listen to this one hopefully I will. No, if you send me like a link or something, I'll put it on. I deleted my old Instagram, but I started a new one. So I'll put it up there. Maybe I'll I'll put it on the friends one too. Does your cat have Instagram? Can we follow your he cat? He does. Okay. What's, <laughs> quickly, quickly for, for our listeners, can you plug your cat's Instagram? Carrie Carrie the cat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's got 40,000 followers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. 
Thanks, Becky. Thanks, guys. So, we'll Thanks, Becky. You. Yeah, we'll see you soon. <laughs> Bye. Friends of the show, this is Passing Dimes' first pledge drive. We're not asking you to tell a phone. We're asking you to tell a friend. we got to spread the message about what Passing Dimes is all about. What do you like? We know what you like. You like podcasts. You like volleyball. You like friendship. Guess what? Sometimes. If you like what you've heard today and uh, you like other episodes, be sure to subscribe to us on Podbeam, Apple Play, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, be sure to click our link to our Instagram page to check out snippets from the show and uh, subscribe on Podbeam. Be sure to give us a FIB five-star major review thing. Five stars. Five stars. Five star. Five star major. Thanks again for Becky Pavin being on the show. That was that was awesome. I've always found that Becky is. So she's really intense on the court, and you're always kind of like, oh, wow, like she, she's really fiery, but you talk to her for five seconds off the court. Great personality, hilarious, loves volleyball, loves people. I'm, I'm so glad that we could get her on the show. Yeah, me too. I'm actually super interested to see what that cat Instagram has to offer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we're lucky, the cat will post about our show so we can get more followers yeah, for I, ours. I can't wait for episode six to have the cat on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on in the wild world of volleyball, uh, the World Championship list was released today by the FIVB, so we found out basically the top 45 teams per gender. The three wild cards haven't been announced yet on the day we we're recording, uh, but exciting news for Canada. We got five teams going to World Championships between the men and women, so that's, that is fantastic. That is awesome. We have Grant O'Gorman and Ben Saxton earning the Norseka berth for Canada for the men, and Sam Schachter, Sam Pedlow earning the top 23 world ranking berth as well. Uh, on the women's side, we have Megan and Cole McNamara earning the Norseka bid for Canada, and then Melissa Umani Paredes and Sarah Pavin, as well as Brandy Wilkerson and Heather Bainsley earning the top 23 spot with their world ranking. And I think people always wonder, like at least when I speak to them and talk about the Canadian Beach National Team, very few people know how successful we are. So we have five teams going. That lists us five overall in the world. So we're behind Brazil and the U.S. are sending eight, so four per gender, which is, wow, good for them. And Russia and Germany have a total of six. Germany being the host, I imagine they're going to get another wild card. But for Canada to be in the company and basically a top five country in the world for beach volleyball just shows how far the program's gone and how exciting it is going into world championships and to the 2020 Olympics. Yeah, you talk about that too. And uh, the Jamin four-star recently ended, and I think it was a big... Uh I think it's a big sort of mark with the program where everybody comes back a little disappointed that we didn't earn a medal. And you realize how difficult it is to win a medal, but you also realize how good the teams are when they come back and everyone's like, oh, we didn't do well. We only got fifth. We only got ninth, right? Like, it's so hard. There's so many good teams out there. And to have our teams performing the way that they are is nuts. You're right. I think we get spoiled a little bit where maybe – 10 years ago we weren't talking about fifth place finishes being disappointing i think we'd be celebrating a fifth place finish right i think now. we'd be celebrating a 25th place yes so def definitely good times and i mean hopefully that that keeps going because looking ahead to brazil on the guy side we already have two teams in the main draw and we've got three teams in the qualifier and hopefully we can do some damage there and then obviously on the women's side uh heather and brandy and sarah and melissa are, are obviously doing well i think they're, they're challenged to medal to every tournament they go to right so all three women who are at the world championships are also going to be in the main draw in pima yes sorry don't let me forget about megan and nicole who 
also won NCAA Beach Championships. We'll get to more details in a second, but they earned the wild card to go. So they're, they're going to get a main draw finish no matter what, which is awesome because they, they finished last year with some great results with a, with a fourth at that Mexico three-star. So they've shown their FIV ready. It'll be exciting for them to play their, their first tournament this year. Can you earn a wild card? I, I think you can because it shows that for Canada to get a wild card into a Brazil tournament, doesn't that show that either the FIV or the promoter really knows who they are? Because we can look in the qualifier, and there's some really good women's teams. So for Megan and Nicole to to get it, I feel like I feel like earn it's the right word. Okay. Did they win a lottery? Did they bowl for it? I, I don't no know. I have no idea. I have no idea. They drew straws. They drew straws. They and drew straws. They drew acai spoons in Brazil. <laughs> Either way, they're going. So that's another main draw team, and I I think. When we're talking four stars this time of year, it's so competitive because Heather and Brandy and Sarah Melissa, just, they just played their first tournament of the year. It's been such a delay with Fort Lauderdale being canceled. And Texas being canceled. And so many people in and out of the Hague because the plans for to go to Texas and Los Angeles and Florida were all there once they kind of all got canceled after the event, right? Yeah. So teams teams are on the hook to of their schedule planning to decide. So um, it, it feels like the season started, everybody's going, and, and we still have our next-gen teams going. So it's... Definitely an exciting time to be a beach volleyball fan. On uh, on another note, too, Pan Am Watch. We're going down to the wire. I think uh, the deadline is coming up soon. Uh, June 15th is the deadline, so it'll be after the Czech four-star. Um, but you're right, it is heating up because... The Twins get a main draw points no matter what. So automatically that's about 120 each. So that, that would tie the best result that MC and Amanda have right now. Um, I believe they have three of those results worth that. And then obviously Sophie and Taylor are going to play together um, through through the trials as well. And, and Julie and Shanice are right there. So on the women's side, it's anybody's guess. On the guy side, uh, Mike and Aaron are still in the driver's seat, but Sergey and Cam are going to the four-star in Brazil to try to qualify as our Jake and Will. Yeah. So it's anybody's guess on the guy side as well. So no matter what, Canada is sending a good team to the Pan Am games. Yeah, it's going to be great to watch. And uh, I think people don't realize how big those qualifier matches are because the point distribution of a four and a five star uh, between the first round of qualifying and the second round of qualifying are about 100 points. Wow. So, yeah, it shows the difference that even just winning one round in the qualifier could be the boost that one team needs over the other for yeah. For the Pan Am watch. I played this event last year in Indipima, and I was fortunate enough to get to the second round of the qualifier. And I think our team earned 160 points for the second round qualification loss, as opposed to the team 50 points it was for losing the first round. And I mean, for, for full journalistic integrity, we're, we're a real show now, so we have to talk about this. We, we already admitted with Megan and Nicole, we don't know how wild cards are awarded, but how does Alison not have a wild card into a Brazil four-star? You know what? Winning an Olympic gold medal just isn't good enough anymore. You have to win, a, what, three, four, seven? <laughs> Who knows? Seven. You need seven gold medals before we'll give you a wild card. You know what? I heard Red Bull's on the outs with Brazil. I heard Monster Energy Drink is in, and Monster <laughs> Energy Drink wants nothing to do with Red Bull anymore. I am shocked. They they win the Malaysia three-star. Obviously, the cutoff date for the Brazil was before then. But how is Alisson on the reserve list for a tournament in his own country? And they went to they earned the world championship bid, too. <sighs> Fired up, Dal. Fired up. <laughs> Things are heating up here at the Pass and Dimes studio. Uh, I guess we'll move on to happier news. Uh, the U21 Canadian roster was announced. And friend of the show, Thomas Sora, made the squad. This is this is really exciting. I think they're they're at a tournament in Peru. There's a little bit of a backstory where 
the U.S. needs to do really well. They haven't qualified for Worlds yet. I don't think a lot of people know that. Where Canada has qualified, this is just a continental tournament, but but the states are gunning for it. The as we're recording this, um, Canada's already beat Peru. We're in a pretty good pool. We're we're in a place to do some damage. But uh, awesome, awesome job by the young guys already. I, I think it shows that Canada's competitive at all ages, whether it's beach or indoor. Um, we, we mentioned Thomas Sora, but. Uh, Eisler's there. He's going to go to Trinity Western next year. There, there's some solid guys here. Uh, Alexander from the FTC is there. He'll be at Princeton next year. Xander Ketrzynski, Isaac Nesbitt, excuse me, from Ottawa Mavericks, friend of the show. Uh, there's a lot of Ontario guys here. Uh, if we're ever going to leave Ontario, I feel like we need to shout out some other players. But, uh, you know. Shout out to my boy, Landon Curry. <laughs> Landon, you and I go way back. I did give a shout out to... Uh, Elser, so I, I feel like that that's that's another Calgary hookup. Maybe the Razors listening out there in Alberta and could uh, confirm. The Red Razor. <laughs> the Red Razor, excuse me. You know what, Josh? I look at this, uh, look at this list and um, I see a lot of names that I'm not familiar with, but that's okay. The uh, You know what? Shout out to my boy Alex Merkel. I'm going to butcher that name. St. Catharines, Ontario. I love that. Uh, I love that Niagara region. Well, what's interesting about Alexander is he he's graduated high school, but he chose to go to the FTC before going to university. Uh, he makes the U21 team, so it shows that he did improve over the winter in Gatineau. It just kind of shows that that was a professional decision for him to go train with professionals at the FTC, and then he'll go to the NCAA next year. So it's interesting that high school students are now going to FTC before, because it used to be something you did after if you didn't get a pro contract, right? So Not even if you didn't get a pro contract. It was like, it was cutthroat to get onto the FTC. Like, right. I think before the the big clubs started coming coming here, guys would that's their livelihood, right? Like that's how you make uh, that's how you make a living. But shout out Southwestern Ontario, love that. Love to see a good St. Kitts boy make the national team. And Alexander played for the KW Preds, which ties us back into Becky Pavin fam. We just went full cycle. Shout out Becky Pavin. Uh, so you can keep an eye on U twenty one on the Norseka website, or Volleyball Canada's got some great updates. We're definitely keen to see how that tournament plays out one not only to see how well canada does but i'm interested to see if the u.s misses a major tournament on the indoor side fascinating fascinating uh let's move keep it moving are you ready let's keep this gravy train rolling uh i don't know if you had a chance to watch because you're so busy dal but the uh ncaa beach volleyball championships were on and they did great coverage the dual system at a venue that has five courts like alabama did makes it like super interesting to watch because you might be dominating your game, but I'm down on my side. And then, like, what's going on in court three? Like, you have to take care of business on your court. But as a coach, I'm sure you're just, like, kind of head on a swivel checking out the other courts. Because it's the first school to win three out of five. You know what? Here it comes. Here's my unpopular opinion of the day. First off, shout out Megan and Nicole. Two-time national champions. Back to back. Incredible. That's, like, that is such an amazing accomplishment. Shout out Alex Paletto, national finalist. Those are two huge accomplishments from three different Canadians. However, talked about this last last time on the podcast. I hate this dual system. You want to know why? Because if we look at the box score of the NCAA tournament, it'll say UCLA 3, USC 2. I don't know if you know, Josh, but 3-2 looks like it's a close score. So when I'm looking, I go, oh, ooh, UCLA squeaked it out when you when you open the box score it was a clean sweep UCLA won three games in a row didn't drop a set the other two matches 
stop playing. Yeah, I'm wondering why it said three two there because I was watching and it was it was a sweep. Yeah, it was. Let's. It it was a it was a hard sweep. They dominated. They didn't lose a set in a national championship. But I'll be honest with you, I'm getting all reared up and ready to go. I'm I know I'm pra- I practiced you know let's say four years for some of those girls that are in their senior year to play this national championship. I'm the one team. All of a sudden, it's 15-15. Oh, we won. Like, sick. We won. Huge celebration. But, like, what am I doing here? Well, let, let me be that, that guy here. So I've been that guy once in a while. I'll allow you to be that guy this time. Beach volleyball didn't, didn't exist at this level 10 years ago. Could, couldn't get the funding. Couldn't get exposure. It wasn't even a collegiate sport. So now you go to the athletic director of a school and you say, Hey, we want to start beach volleyball. Can you give us two scholarships for our best team? You know what? I'll do you better, Dal. We're going to give 14 girls a scholarship. Then we're going to have a team. And we're going to go team by team. And that's going to make sense for travel. That's going to make sense for facilities. That's going to make sense for everything. Where if we go team system, I think schools are more willing to invest in this, hire a full-time coach. Where if you treat it like that individual sport, and I know you're going to bring up track and field. I know you're going to bring up the track and field with the individuals within teams. But I think this changed the game for beach volleyball where... Becky talked about this in our, in our interview. We have the teams within teams, and teams are secretly competing against each other. That gets rid of all of this stuff where we're all pulling in the same direction. It's all competitive. The, the dual system is super fun to watch. Otherwise, if you're there live, I don't think it's super fun to watch because you're probably watching one game, and then you can't like go over. Where if you watch it on the live stream like I am, you can boot around the courts. You can see a whole bunch of stuff. I think it, it's made beach volleyball fascinating because of the team system and not because of cheering for Dallas and his partner, and well, we don't care what the other Canadians are doing. Kudos to you. You knew my argument before I even said it. But I will say this. Tennis does, I think, a better job of the dual system than beach volleyball because I believe that all the matches start at the same time. And in beach volleyball, I think they do a bit of a shotgun start. Um, I think certain matches are timed. And I just, I think, I mean... Obviously, the resources are there and the popularity is there. And it's awesome that you said they're giving all these scholarships away. But I think it's going to take another maybe five, eight, ten years for them to really iron out all the details um, to make it into what it is. Because, like you said, ESPN had great coverage of it. But let's compare it to the NCAA tournament for women's volleyball. Not the same crowd. I think one is way more established than the other. And, and I was just handed a, a slip of paper from our intern, the fact checker. Uh, there, there's not 14 scholarships available on an, uh, an NCAA beach team. I believe it's four and a half for most schools. Just kidding. We don't have an intern, but I thought I'd correct myself. So anybody sitting at home listening to the show is like, no, 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 no. There's not 14 scholarships. I don't want to hear about it on our Instagram. I'm just saying it, it, it provided more opportunities for a team base. And I think when you look at the NCAA sports structure, they, they want – team-based people. I don't think they were interested in adding uh, a mini team that had maybe six athletes on it and hire a full-time coach. I don't think the the support system would have been as available to to a smaller team as, as say, five teams of two, and I believe there's red shirts. So I, I'm going to pop off and say there's probably 14 girls on a squad. So uh-huh. therefore, you can justify building a facility, hiring coaches, paying for travel, I'm going to have to ask summer intern Jeff to fact check you on, uh, on the average size of a beach volleyball roster. No, but uh, I, uh, I know that uh, I play the devil's advocate a little bit sometimes here. It is very good that, um, that they're doing this right now, but I would like to see all matches mean something. Um, 
which you know it's or we just we 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 completely revamp the FIVB and that's an even bigger can of worms that I just opened. Wouldn't it be cool to do one event this structure where like the like the Davis Cup and tennis? Where I think maybe you sh you shorten it to four because I think there's competitive teams like obviously Norway is probably the best men's team in the world, but I don't think they have five Norway teams that can compete. But they probably have three that are very good. So maybe you go three or four teams and you go dual style. I know four doesn't really. Maybe it's got to be three, and you win two out of three. Or I don't know. Five and you go five, and they have to find somebody's little brother to be on the fifth team. I don't know. There's got to be somebody. You There's got to be some mole out there in Norway that we don't know about. <laughs> exactly. But I think for one tournament, it could be it could be really fun and, and easy to kind of get involved. Where the FIB's done a great job trying to really showcase their top twenty teams, and I think you see that with the star system, where it's easier as a fan to kind of invest. But if you're a casual fan looking at the results of a one or a two star. I'm not sure you have the same emotional investment as maybe this format would have in its country versus country, and it gets you get really after it. I think. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, one one shout out I'd like to give. Uh, we we mentioned this on our last show about how many international players are playing in the NCAA. I think this confirms that we we talked about worlds and how many teams Canada has. We talked about UCLA winning with with two awesome Canadians. They beat the Latvian girl. They gave her her first loss of the tournament when they lost the first set there of USC. So I think our internationals are standing up that we're, we're legit at every level right now. Alex Paletta was playing for USC. They lost their first round, had to come through the long way with the uh, double elimination format. So many Canadians doing big things. That it feels like every level, whether it's indoor or beach, it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, what else do we need to discuss, Dal? Well, congratulations to Long Beach on taking it down and the uh, NCAA men's finals that just happened this, this past weekend. Name me one player that isn't Canadian. TJ DeFalco, Long Beach. He's oh, already on the yeah. U.S. International Shout team. out to the friend of the show, Jake Neal, beating him at a Norseka. Really? Yeah. TJ DeFalco played beach? He uh, he played in that Youth Olympic Games qualifier. That's who Andrew and Jake beat in the final. No way. Yeah. Well, now he's probably the best collegiate player in the United States. He, he might even be North America. He's already on the indoor national team for the states who will be going to you know defend their bronze medal at the next olympic games like the guy can play but jake mcneil's got a win over him yeah jake mcneil has beaten him he's undefeated never lost uh big shout out to club volleyball right now their national the canadian national tournament is happening this coming week in toronto i will be there uh wednesday thursday friday saturday and uh, you might even catch me there Sunday, but um, it's going to be an awesome event. Uh, everyone who's out there listening to us, feel free to come up to me and uh, and talk to me about what we're doing here. Ask me a question. Tell me what you like. Uh, delicately tell me what you don't like. And uh, no, it'll be great. Super exciting. Uh, we have some awesome guests coming on uh, coming on shortly, and we're going to keep it uh, a little close to the chest, but. Uh, some some high level players and uh, some great stories are going to come out your way pretty soon. Uh, same offer for me. I'll be there on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, definitely coaching. But I'll, I'll probably stop by Saturday. Maybe we'll be in the same place at the same time. Maybe people will catch us together. If yeah. anyone asks for a photo because we're the passing nine guys, I might lose it in like happiness. I might be a little nervous. We do have faces for podcasts, so <laughs> we'll see. Uh, and congratulations to the 14U's. I believe the Ottawa, it was, I think when they're at 14U, they go east-west. So that would have been the East Championships have already passed by the time we're recording this. So congratulations on a great season for everybody. Honey Badgers, great game. Yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> they're sweet, but they're ferocious. The Honey Badgers.
Yeah, it fits. Totally fits. It totally fits. It's clever. All right, that's it for another episode of Passing Times. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening, and be sure to check us out on uh, Google Play, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Just kidding, we're not on Spotify, but Podbeam. Podbeam. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Passing Times.